0: Well, good morning, church. So glad you're here with us. If you would, uh, grab a copy of the scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a couple on the back table right there. You can take that as a gift from us to you. If you're looking for a seat, we've got these front rows that have just opened up, which is always fun, and we've got some pockets over here, Um, so so glad that you are here. We are walking through uh, Philippians, we're calling it gospel culture, or as Paul describes it at the very beginning of the book, how to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, citizens of King Jesus as our primary Lord and King, not citizens of Rome with Caesar being our king, but citizens of of heaven with Jesus as king, and so we've been walking through this wonderful book. Michael uh, uh, ended last week in verse 18. We're going to pick back up right in verse 19 of Philippians chapter 2, and we are going to finish uh, chapter 2 here this morning. Uh, quick thing, as we were singing that song about the breath in our lungs, about it lifting up to praise the Lord Jesus, I just want to encourage you. I don't know if you've uh, read about this have you heard about this, this doesn't have Uh, anything to do with my sermon, but I just want to implore you to to read about this and know about this, but uh, at Asbury Seminary uh, in Kentucky last week, you may have read a little bit about this, there is revival happening at Asbury Seminary. There's uh, seminary students there. They began chapel, I believe it was, on Tuesday uh, afternoon, and they are still there right now. They're still there worshiping. They're still there praying. They're still there pleading that God would come and meet with them, that Jesus would make inroads in and through their lives and impact in their communities. And so people are bringing them food. The worship leaders, I don't know, their fingers must be bleeding. I don't know how they're still playing. But uh, the community began hearing about these students just praying and fervently asking that God would show up and that Jesus would be real to them and their community. And neighbors started coming and families started coming, people are driving in from out of state, and this chapel, this little chapel on this seminary has been packed for days, 24 hours a day, of students and men women and grandpas and grandmas and professors and all kinds of people coming in because God is doing something there. Um, so God is on the move. God is on the move here, God is on the move there, God is on the move halfway around the world and other places, and so we serve a living God through the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we gather, that's why we sing these songs, that's why we open his word, because it's living and it's active, because he's moving, and he's making inroads in our hearts. And so if you have not heard about that, uh, read about it. There's like live Twitter feeds. You can watch it happening um, And it starts with just a movement of prayer of God's people. There wasn't, it was a normal chapel day. I don't know all the details behind it, but it's a beautiful thing of God's people longing for God to move in this generation. That's my heart. That's our heart. That's why you're here this morning. And so as we open the word, know that he is moving, that he is active, and that he longs to change our hearts so that we might be citizens of King Jesus and live for him and move with him in this world in which we operate. Let's jump in. Philippians 2, 19. Paul is writing to the church he helped plant in Philippi. This letter uh, he's concluding this section right here. I hope, therefore, to send him, just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. to me. So a strange passage a little bit. So we've just come off of Philippians 1 and 2, we've come off Philippians 2, one of the most magnificent things ever penned in the New Testament about the humility of Christ and about this amazing sort of uh, song, this amazing uh, theological creed that the early church repeated over and over again about who Jesus is, the nature and character of God, and here we get to, and he sort of seemingly changes gears, and we have basically at first glance a travelogue. Like a, a, a travel diary. We've got essentially in modern times, this would be plane tickets, car rentals, hotel reservations, how they're feeling along the way. The food made me ill in this city. I'm, going, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit sick. I wish I was home. It's like a travel log, a travel diary of these two guys that Paul's describing. And so remember, real quick, context is helpful in this. Paul is in prison in Rome. Talked about that at the very beginning. And just why this section is in here and why all these sending of people and receiving people and sending back people is so important. Because in the Roman prison system, unlike in our prison system, when a prisoner uh, goes into jail, they get their, their, their three square meals. They get their soft bed and they have this whole system of feeding and cleanliness and all these things that happen with prisoners. And the Roman prison system wasn't like that. It's like, hey, if you're in prison, uh, we're not going to spend any of our money on you, so your family and friends got to take care of you. And so if you're in prison, you were dependent on those that cared for you, your family primarily, to bring you money to buy you food and to provide for you water while you're staying there in prison awaiting a trial uh, that would determine your outcome. And this is what Paul is doing. So he's awaiting his trial. He's run out of resources and he's hungry and he's thirsty because the Roman, the Roman warden wasn't, wasn't there to provide him food. He's just there to make sure he didn't escape. And so the Philippian church knew that Paul, got word that Paul was in prison. And they're hundreds of miles away. They're 800 miles away from Rome where it's believed that Paul is writing this letter to this church and he has no food, and so this church takes up an offering. They hear of this, like we need to provide for our brother. For Paul, we care about this person. So they take up an offering, and they send a paphroditus, someone in, the, in their church, in their church family, someone who had come to faith in Christ in this church through the proclamation of the gospel, and Epaphroditus is there, and he's, he's, he volunteers to go 800 miles to bring this offering to Paul so that Paul might have a continued support of food and water and sustenance for his trial as he awaits his trial. Now, along the way, Epaphroditus gets sick, as we read, and he's on the verge of death, and so word maybe, I don't know if he wrote a letter at some outpost that he was and sent it back to his church home. I'm very sick. I feel like I'm almost at the point of death, but yet he he presses on, he presses through the sickness all the way to Rome, 800 miles, so that Paul can receive this gift. And Paul's life is saved because of the generosity of this church, of this church family that, are, uh, that have taken this great gift to provide for their brother, Paul. But Paul's got a problem now. He's, he, he, he has a heart for this church He doesn't want to leave them in the dark about what's happened, what's happening to him, what's happening to their church member Epaphroditus, what's going on with Timothy. And so communication, and this time there's no cell phones, obviously, there's no internet, there's no way to get the word out. So the only form of communication was via letter or face-to-face, which oftentimes it's, it's easier to send someone. And so he wants, to, he wants to give word to this church who is genuinely concerned about these people who are so dear to them. So Paul needs to send word back that he needs to let people know Epaphroditus made it. He didn't die. He needs to let them know, I've not died at the hands of this Roman guard. And the Roman imperials. I'm still alive. I'm still awaiting trial. So he needs to send word back. So Paul, in this passage, makes this plan to send Epaphroditus back to fill them in on all that's happening with them. And then he says at the very end, after the trial, after all that goes on with me, he's saying, Paul's going to send Timothy back then to let them know what's happened with Paul. And then Paul even says, And I hope to get back with you someday because he loves these folks to fill you in on how my trial went. So, on the surface, that's all that's happening. It's like travel plans, it's like a diary. You're like, okay, are we done? Should we just sing some more? It's like, is that it? But under the surface, there's so much happening here. It's brilliantly written. It's beautifully intertwined with the rest of the book. Some of it's lost in us in our English translations. I'm going to hope to to mine that out for us and see these wonderful parallels and these wonderful things that I think Paul is trying to connect the dots for us, even in this travel itinerary. Because after all, the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And even a travel itinerary cuts right to our Hearts and shows us who the Lord is, what He's like, and how we are to live for Him. Now, with that being said, there's so much going on. Keep in mind, you have to keep this in mind as you read this. It's hard, you can't just unplug it. This is a letter. And when you're reading this, you need to read it in the context of the whole letter that's happening because Paul is drawing on all of these things that he said previously. He's building to something. He's going somewhere. He's not writing just randomly. He's doing something. He's formulating something for us as God's people even today to know. So rewind back to chapter one. The central point, if you'll remember, that Paul gives us and is the first command that's given to us in the letter is live as citizens of the gospel, of king jesus live as gospel citizens that's why we're calling it gospel culture this whole book is about how we how the church practically are to live as king, as citizens of king jesus not as citizens of caesar in rome Your citizenship isn't primarily just where you are geographically or who your political leaders are or a certain flag or a certain skin color or a certain look or a certain way. We are citizens first and foremost as believers in Christ of King Jesus. We're gospel citizens. And so we're to live as worthy citizens of the king, he tells us in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, Paul gives us a vision of a church that's doing just that, that's living that out, and he points out two pillars of, uh, of citizens living a gospel culture for King Jesus, and these two pillars that he build, he's building this case upon is chapter 2, verse 2, um, and chapter 2, verse 3, unity and humility are these pillars of kingdom citizenship, Philippians 2.2, complete my joy, he says, remember, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind, unity with Christ, unity with King Jesus. We're to have unity with him. And then uh, chapter two, verse three, going back, he says, remember, do nothing, right after this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves, humility, the second pillar to live as citizens of King Jesus, Unity, having the same mind as Christ, and humility, having been marked with the humility of Christ. And unity and humility is how we, as God's people, are to live out a gospel culture with one another and the world around us. He's building these blocks, and it's beautiful. And then in chapter 2, verse 5 as you continue on, it's, it's this high-level sort of overview of this book. Paul then lays out examples of what that looks like in day-to-day life for us. Because there's one thing to just say it, and now he's going to start getting, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Verse 5, having the same mindset as King Jesus. And then he goes on, and he shows us how Jesus humbled himself. He even humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a Roman cross, On Caesar's cross, he he went to. And then if you think back to last week, when Michael was unpacking the passages, he lays out a a negative example of how not to live out the gospel. We, as citizens of King Jesus, don't live out the gospel with grumbling and complaining. Do you remember? That was last week. We don't grumble, we don't complain, we don't have this unspoken sort of just grumbling and angst in us. And then in today's text, he drills down even further, down even further, and he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus, these two men that the church would have known well. And Paul is putting up Timothy and he's putting up Epaphroditus as examples for the Philippians to learn how to live out a day-to-day life in gospel unity in gospel humility a gospel culture he's saying you want to know what it looks like to live as citizens of King Jesus you want to know what it looks like to be marked with unity in Christ having the same mind as Christ you want to know what it looks like to walk out humility in this life that we've just unpacked and I've shown you that Jesus is our ultimate example of, that they don't grumble and complain, look at Timothy and look at Epaphroditus. Look at these two. We need church. Paul knows this. We need examples to look to, don't we? We need examples to look to. We need examples of how are we to lead our families. We need examples of godly fathers. We need examples of how to lead the church, how to lead uh, the church through this cultural moment we're we're living in. We need examples of how to leverage money through generosity for the impact of the gospel. We We need examples of how we're to love and serve and articulate the gospel who don't know Jesus, who are gifted in evangelism. We need examples To look to so that theology puts on flesh and blood, and we can look and say, that's what it looks like. That's what this means. That's how you do this. And this is what Paul's doing. It's one thing to say, have a gospel culture. Okay, we'll see you next week. You got it? Great. Live in unity and humility. You're like, okay, ooh, geez, I don't know. Like, how? What do you mean? That's easy to just say, have humility, church. Live in unity with one another. You're like, we live in the most divided, polarizing, angry, isolated, tribalistic time that I think we've ever lived in in the history of anything I can remember, although I'm not that old. <laughs> and I, it's not helpful to say, be unified. We can barely be unified right here. How can we be unified out there? Look at these folks. Look at Timothy. Look at Epaphroditus. Look how they walked. Look how they served. Look how they loved. Look at their lives. That's theology. That's theology with flesh. On. That's what Jesus did for us. He's obviously our ultimate example of how to live and walk and breathe. But now, Jesus was all about making and multiplying disciples of himself. And here we have Timothy and Epaphroditus. This is what Paul is doing. He's building this case. So let's take a deeper look at Timothy, and then we're going to make some application. And then we're going to take a deeper look at Epaphroditus and make a few more applications. And then we're going to uh, walk out of here, and we'll have a better understanding with these examples of how we're to live as kingdom citizens of Jesus our Lord. All right, now, first off, Timothy. Paul met Timothy in one of his missionary journeys. He sort of adopted him as like a son to him, Timothy's mother, Uh, became a believer. His father uh, was not a believer. Paul meets this family, specifically Timothy. Timothy begins uh, following Paul and going with Paul on his missionary journeys all over the place, all over these different towns, preaching and sharing the gospel. Timothy follows Paul even to prison as he is right now with Paul at his side. In fact, uh, Timothy was so important to Paul, so important to his ministry, and so they were so close that we have two letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote to him that are called? Okay. You don't, seriously? It's really easy. It's not, it's not like a trick question. We have two letters. If you're British, you're called one and two. Yeah, our first and second Timothy. Isn't that weird? The Brits say one and two. It's kind of cool. Um. I kind of like that. Turn to two Timothy, like a. This kind of sounds cool. I don't know if that wasn't a British accent. I apologize. Verse nineteen. Let's jump in. Let's jump in. See Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. I love this. My spiritual imagination right out of the gate here. I don't know if this is exactly what's happening, but I think this is kind of like when uh, you leave work in the morning and maybe your children are there and uh, it's one of those things where you would go and you gather your children together and you say, kids, I can't wait to come home and hear from your mother how well behaved you've been all day day long. <laughs> See y'all later. It's like hint, hint, right? And so I think it's kind of like one of those. He's, he's kind of priming the pump for like them seeing and them seeing one day Timothy as he comes back. And then secondly, it says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I love that word. Genuine, authentic, not fake. And he doesn't even say who will be gen?" I have no one like you. He doesn't make it about himself, who really knows me and knows my situation, and I'm going to be able to send him to you one day so that he can fill you in on how I'm doing. He doesn't make it about Paul. He makes it about them. He loves this church. He says, I, I have no one else who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy cares about you, Church. He's genuine in his care for you and how you're doing and what you're up to. Not my welfare, not even his own welfare, but for yours. Selfless. Selfless. In verse 21, for they all, speaking of all these other people, this is why he's sending Timothy and not all these other people, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. In other words, guys like Timothy are a rare breed. Guys like Timothy are rare. We live in a world that the vast majority of people are narcissistic and self-seeking to the core. We're actually taught to look out for number one. We have entire social platforms that are dedicated to propping yourself up showing your stories, your accomplishments, your things, me, 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 build a platform for me, and if you're really, really, really good at it, and you get enough people that think that you are so awesome, and that I just want to watch your every move, you don't have to do anything else in life. Other companies will pay you to learn more about what you're doing all day, and you record yourself, and we all watch it, and we're fascinated by it. It's weird. It's weird. We live in a weird time, right? Narcissism is so normal. Self absorption is so normal. It's celebrated. It's a triumph if you're great at it. It's called being an influencer. You are so interesting. Now, if you're an influencer, I'm sorry, I'm sure you're doing awesome, like tremendous things. This is a generality, right? But it's just, it's a strange thing. I don't, I don't get it all. And this seems to be like, Timothy's rare. He's not like that. He just genuinely cares for y'all. And he's gonna spend his life and his time and his energies caring for you that you might know and love and serve Jesus more and more and more. He's not looking out for number one. He cares for you. Others focused. And notice the parallel language. Here's where it gets really beautifully written. If you can kind of see it for the whole in the way that Paul is writing Philippians, this parallel language that Paul sort of is weaving in to describing Timothy back from chapter two, verse two. he says this. Paul said this: "Remember, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love." Being in full accord and of one mind. And then in Timothy says in verse 20 in our text, for I have no one else like him. The Greek, it's the same word. The ESV sort of hides it. It's it's literally translated like this: um, For I have no one else like-minded. Like-minded. Just like he said, have the same mind. Have the mind of Christ, have the same mind of Jesus. And he goes on. It says, For I have no one else that is like-minded. And then back in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Let us not look to only your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then in our passage today, verse 21, this is what he was talking about Christ then. He's now talking about Timothy. He says, Everyone else looks for their own interests, not those of King Jesus. Paul's saying, Look at Timothy. He's not like this. He's not a narcissist. He's not building fame for himself. He's not building a platform for himself. He's not self-seeking and self-focused. He is others-focused. Can that be said of you? Can that be said of me? Is that our heart? Is that what we do? Is that who we are? Because that's Paul's definition. That's Paul's flesh and blood application for humility and unity. Look at Timothy. He has the same mind, just like I was talking about last chapter. Look at Timothy. He has this humility. He's others focused. Is that you? You? And then we keep reading, and we learn that that character that's in Timothy, that him living that out and walking that out, it does not come cheap. It's not easily um, grasped. Philippians two twenty two, but you know Timothy's proven worth. It's the same idea. I don't have time to unpack it. If you go over to Romans 5, chapter 3, and this this proven worth, or that we can rejoice in our sufferings. So a proven worth is you've been tested with fire, You've walked through it. You've gone through situations. Romans 5, Paul uses the same words here described, but it's translated rejoicing in our suffering, a proven worth. It's tested that we can actually rejoice. Why? Because this suffering produces something in us. In Romans 5, it gets to character or proven worth as it's applied here. So, It's not just something you say, but it's something you can walk in and lean in, and it's not easy. It's not easy for any of us. So, church, this morning, just application along the way. If you find yourself right now in a place of suffering, maybe it's with your body, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in your finances, maybe it's in a friendship. There's some place that it is a crucible-like moment where it's hard and you're suffering and you don't have all the answers for it. Hold steady in that perseverance and walk through it with humility and unity and having the same mind as Christ and it will produce something in you. That very place, that very hardship, that very suffering, the gospel tells us again and again and again, actually do something in you. And it teaches you something and it produces something in you that's called character or proven worth, just like Timothy. Proven worth means you've, you've had to walk through it. You've had to go through it. And this sermon can't give it to you. The latest book can't give it to you. The best podcast can't just download it into you. You have to walk in it. That's the only way. And when you're walking in it, it is miserable and hard. But when you look back on it, you'll see God produced something in me that I could have never got if I hadn't walked through it. And it's beautiful. Then he goes on. Now as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. More on that later, he keeps going. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So, basically, once, once I hear what's gonna happen to me, once I hear uh, if I'm gonna make it out of here, if I'm gonna live, or if I'm gonna stay here longer, or if I'm gonna be set free, then I'm gonna send Timothy to you. But I need him here for now. And I'm trusting the Lord that I will also come see you. So he's, he's saying, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I'm holding fast. I'm trusting, to, I'm trusting the Lord that he will get me out of this because I've seen God do miracle after miracle after miracle. Jesus rose from the grave, and I know he can get me out of here. So he's trusting and hoping in the Lord. It's not, he's not saying that he, he, God has to do this, but he's hoping in God. Are you hoping in God in the midst of where you are? And now before we move on to Epaphroditus, real quick, some notes about Timothy that he's putting up as an example to us of how you live out the gospel. Here's someone with proven character. Here's someone that's by my side. Paul is saying, here's how you live in the way of Jesus with unity and humility. He says this. He uses a metaphor for Timothy and he uses a meta, he uses an a bunch of metaphors for Epaphroditus. He says, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So this metaphor is to help us understand how to live out the gospel. Essentially, Paul is passing on the family business to Timothy, He's passing on the family traits of one that proclaims the good news of the Lord Jesus to those that are far away from him so that they might come and know Jesus and be reborn by faith in Christ. So my in-laws, my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law is in here right now. Their last name is Smith. And I didn't confirm this. I should have before I used them as analogy, but it's okay. Uh, I feel like I have license because they're family. So I would imagine if you go back generation after generation after generation all the way back, you would find that the Smiths, common name, right, that this is why there's so many of them, would be, a family of blacksmiths or a family of silversmiths. And so what would have happened in a community is as this community was forming and they were going, this, uh, the, the father before them and before them and before them would have done this trade and this craft, and they would have been blacksmiths or would have been silversmiths. And so the community would have said, there's the smiths. Oh, you have, a, you have an issue with this? Go see the smiths. Because that's what they do. And their last name defined what they did, how they did it. And the, the heritage of the family, the occupation of the family would have been passed down and passed down and passed down. And that's not really the case for us anymore. But that would have been the most common way that anyone with a vocational occupation would have had a job. And they would become that through Apprenticeship. Through imitation, through observing, through watching, through learning, through being side by side with someone who is doing the work and then showing them how to do it and then giving them the ability to walk and do it. And Paul is saying, not just like, I love Timothy like a son, like, he, is, he, is, he does love him like a son. But he's like, I love him in such a way that I'm passing down my very identity of what I do and how I do it by the power of God to this other person. And I wanna have him along the way so that he can see me and imitate me and know me so that he can continue on the family business of the proclamation of the good news of the gospel. So he's like, I've shown him how to do this. And he's saying he's like a son to me. And so Paul and Timothy, there was this mutual serving and love together. And he was showing him. So quick application for us here as a church. Are you a Timothy today? Are you learning from someone? If you're in here, are you learning from someone that's down the road of faith a little bit? Have you taken time to ask someone, to have some questions ready when you come in contact with someone even here in our gathering to, to, to grab them for lunch and to see how they've lived out the faith and how they uh, raised godly kids or how they're navigating uh, the workplace in this secular, crazy culture we're living in and still being a man of faith or a woman of faith, uh, uh, someone who is in the trenches uh, along the way as a mother? Have you Are you a Timothy? Have you have you gotten together in your lungs Learning and you're growing side by side together. It's not a church program, it's a way of life. Or are you a Paul? Are you down the road of faith a little bit? Are you open to teaching the sons and daughters who are in your midst right now the way of Jesus? Because we have questions. We can't do it alone. The scriptures are constantly talking about raising up the next generation and doing this well. It can't just be groupthink with people in your own age bracket. We've got to lean on each other. We've got to learn from one another. We've got to grow. We've got to grow up in the faith and mature in the faith. So are you you willing to share? If one of these Timothys in your midst actually asks you out to, to coffee or to come over to your home, would you be willing to open up and share? You don't have to have perfect words to say or a sermon to preach. I just wanna to get to know you and see how did you actually navigate this thing called faith in Jesus in this life that we're leading together. That's so helpful. It's so helpful. Unfortunately, in our current time, we've almost lost the ability to know how to even ask people to do that. Well, do I like DM them or do I, have to, like, post, do I post a picture with like a cool graphic that says looking for Paul or how? No. <laughs> Like, how many likes, how, how do I filter out who to do that with? No, just, they're right here. Like, we're human beings. We're just, like, here in the room together. Like, look around and ask someone. It's the beautiful thing of relationship. I think we need to do a little bit of relearning how to do that, even in the church. It's not just coming and sitting down and leaving. It's sit down and look to your right and left, and let's lock arms with people. These are great men and women of faith who love God. They want to pass down what they've learned. Sorry, soapbox. Next, Epaphroditus. Now, his name is really interesting. It comes into play, which is why I'm not just saying this for shock factor. Epaphroditus is named after the Greek god Epaphrodite, who is the goddess of pleasure and gambling. Yeah, so obviously Epaphroditus, not a believer at first, Right? born sort of in a pagan family. His parents named him after the god of pleasure and gambling. It's like, woo! It's like a Vegas guy or something. I don't know. So he's just, he's not, but this church that was planted in Philippi, he heard the gospel, preached, he came to faith in Jesus, and uh, he's now just this member of this church, and he's well thought of, and he's a worshiper of Christ, And this is the guy they picked to bring this gift to Paul from their church family. So verse 25 and 27, I'm going to read it just so we can remember what was said. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been, excuse me, distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. This is the only command in this passage, the very end. This is the only uh, command that we see in this section of scripture we're in, for the Philippians For the church, he's telling them to do this, that you would honor and welcome with joy Epaphroditus, your brother, and those like him. Meaning this, we have a calling from God a command from God to honor those who serve the Lord, those who are your mentors, those who give time to pour into your lives, those who have made impact on you in a tremendous way. And many of you sitting right now, if you think back on your story of how God has shaped you informed you and fashioned you and those people that just were great impact, I wanna encourage you. Today, this week, reach out to those people. Do you know how thankless of a job it is to invest in the spiritual lives of people oftentimes? And sometimes those people that sowed seeds of the gospel in your life many years ago, if you can find their contact, if you know who they are already, just reach out to them and thank them and honor them. It goes so long. It goes so far. It, I've never met anyone too encouraged in the gospel. We do a bad job at encouraging one another in the gospel. I've never met someone says, just stop. I'm too encouraged in the gospel. I've had enough of this. (laughs) May we be a people marked with honoring, with joy, those who serve in gospel ministry and just blow wind in their sails because it's not easy. So let's blow wind in the sails of those that planted the seeds of the gospel in your life. Reach out to them, spark another conversation and just say thank you and say keep at it, keep going. You made tremendous impact, I've done this in my life and many times those people are like, I had no idea. What a tragedy they would have no idea. It's so encouraging. Let's encourage one another and let's encourage those who loved you well along your faith journey. We're in a culture today that. Um, that doesn't really honor elders in the community, those that have been doing this a long, long time. We worship at the altar of youth and beauty, not age and wisdom. Um, We're one of the only cultures, I think, in the world that operates that way, and I think it's had some impacts on us, even in the church. But the scriptures have commanded us to honor the Pauls and the Timothys and the Epaphrodituses in our lives, people who shaped you in the gospel. It's good to do that. It's good to do that. Why, you ask? He tells us, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. He risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And this is a play on words. That's why I brought up his name earlier. So it's kind of lost in the English translation, but Epaphroditus' name, uh, the Greek goddess Epaphrodite. Epaphrodite was the goddess of gambling. So this this word here, he's using a in a word play, an analogy. He's risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Or another translation, he's gambling with his life for Christ. Now when they would cast lots, they would play dice in the ancient time. Many, it would be common that they would call out to Epaphrodite to give them favor, that they would win and do well in this gamble that they were doing. And Paul's playing on this that they would have known about, that they may have even would have said themselves had they been gambling. He's saying, Epaphroditus doesn't roll the dice and call out to Epaphrodite his namesake. He rolls the dice and gambles with his life knowing Christ Jesus, the risen one, has his life in his hands. And he's willing to gamble his life because he knows the one true God has him. Isn't that wonderful? He's gambling his life knowing it's worthy to do so because God has called him to it. Brilliant play on words. It's the provision of God that brought this gift to Paul as Epaphroditus gambles his life and says, God's got me. Because his God was greater. So Paul calls Timothy a son, and here he calls Epaphroditus a number of things. And I'm gonna walk through those, and we'll be done uh, with our application portion of Epaphroditus. He says, my brother, my fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. First of all, brother. Paul calls him brother. This is Paul's favorite word for other believers in Christ. He's connecting the dots, we're family, We're in this together. He's my brother. And we're not, it's not just like, I know a lot of times we kind of use this like, hey, bro, like, he's my bro. He's one of my guys. He's one of my dudes. It's like it's deeper than that. When Paul uses it, he's saying, no, we're we're actually family. We're like Abraham family. Go all the way back. We're the, the type of family. We're in this together through the blood of Christ, even though Epaphroditus, uh, was born in a pagan family, Jesus has saved him into this family so that by God's grace, we can be all about the promise that was given to Abraham of spreading the blessing of God to every corner of the earth. That's the type of family we're part of. That's family. That's That's why Paul says brother. Abraham-like family, like family family. Like grafted in family, not bro. We're family. We're participating together in this. Are you in the family? Are you known? Um, and he goes on, he says, fellow worker. So, Paul, to Paul, gospel, the gospel work, the gospel culture, cultivating a culture of the gospel, living as a kingdom citizen with Jesus as king. There's work involved. It's not easy. There's a task at hand. It's not a spectator sport. Many of us in this room will participate in a spectator sport later this evening. Lots of good food and some friends around. and We're going to yell at the TV about what a foolish play that was. I can't believe they did that. And we're great at kind of seeing it from a bird's eye view. No, this is different. We're not spectators. We're not observing. We're not just armchair quarterbacks. Paul says we are in it. We're participating. It's gospel work. We are fellow workers in the gospel ministry. And he goes on and says, fellow soldier. It's a fight to bring the gospel forth in our culture. There's a fight. Now, our fight, let me clarify, is not against flesh and blood. The Bible's clear about that. Meaning it's not a violent struggle against other humans, other people, but it's a spiritual battle against the principalities against the evil one, against the enemy himself that we are waging war against. And we're pushing back the darkness and we're bringing forth the gospel light to those who desperately need it. So we're soldiers together. And we fight day after day after day. How do we do that? How do we fight? We pray. We proclaim. We trust. We hope, even in the face of hopeless situations. And we pray that... His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that for our communities, for our families, for our friends. And then the next one he goes on, he says, and you're a messenger. It's the Greek word uh, apostolos, where we get our word apostle. Or where we get our word uh, missio, our missionary, which comes from the Vulgate, which was the Greek, was the Latin translation of the Greek New Testament. So, if you didn't follow that, it's okay. So, we got apostle from apostolos, and we get mission comes from the Latin word uh, missio. So, missionary, apostle, this is this word. You are a messenger. You are an apostle. You are a uh, missionary. We are sent on mission. So, we're workers, we're soldiers, we're brothers and were sent out with this great good news of the mission of God to advance the gospel in our generation. All of you in this room today, now I don't, the, the term missionary, I don't love the word because we think that's not me, that's for like Jill and BJ who are halfway around the world. Yes, they are missionaries, but it's the very same call, the missio call, the missionary call, The apostolic call to go and be a proclaimer of the good news, just like it's on Jill and BJ halfway around the world, is on you and I today. Same call. It's no different. That we would be sent by God with the good news of Jesus Christ and a society and a culture that desperately needs the truth. That desperately needs the truth. And the last word that Paul uses here is he is a minister to my need. A minister is a servant with the authority of God. Now, the New Testament does not teach, catch this, that there are no more priests. The New Testament does not teach that there are no more priests and no more ministers. You're like, wait a minute. Are we going Catholic here? No. It just means what the New Testament teaches is that we collectively together as God's people are a kingdom of priests now. You are, I am, together. And what is a priest? A priest is someone who represents God to people and people to God. That's the job of a priest. And now we as saved ones are a kingdom of priests. That's our job, that we would live in such a way, church, that when our neighbors wish to know about who God is, they would go ask you because they know that you're a priest. You represent God. You should know, this. I think this person knows about God. I need to ask them about God. And so they would go to God's people to learn about who he is. And then also, we as priests, as a kingdom of priests, would represent our people, our communities, our, the spheres of influence we live in, that we would represent them to God. God, I pray for these people God, save them, do a work in them, intercede for them. They are lost. They are not praying for themselves. They need priests to pray for them. And then we would have opportunities to be sent into their context to be able to proclaim this good news of the great risen Jesus to them. We are a kingdom of priests because God wants you and I to represent him in the world and spaces in which we operate. And we would pray for those that are far away from him and that those that long to know about him, we would give answer to the great hope we have in the risen Lord Jesus Christ and that they would all be brought near to God and that we could live this out together together. So you are a priest in your office, you're a priest in your school, you're a priest in your neighborhood, you're a priest in your home. Each of us is called to this full-time calling. God just reroutes your paycheck through other means. Um, Each of us is called. That church is flesh and blood. Timothy, Epaphroditus, look to these examples. This is what it means to live in unity and live in humility as kingdom citizens of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great king, above any other king that is put before us. That's a gospel culture. We look to them, and he's saying, would you live in this way as well? Let's pray together, church. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even in... A passage filled with travel plans. It is just packed with truth and goodness and beauty of how to live for you, how to hear from you, how to walk with you, how to show others how to do that. And so, Lord, we thank you for your living and active word that you've given us all that we need for faith and godliness. And I pray for us as a people. Lord, may we be marked as kingdom citizens serving Jesus as our great king. May we be marked like Timothy and Epaphroditus with unity, having one mind, the mind of Christ first and foremost, and may that spill into our actions and how we live and how we walk and how we move and how we breathe and how we operate and how we love with one another in humility. And Lord, I pray for those in this room right now that are Timothy's. Lord, may you impress upon them now someone that they need to ask in their midst, maybe even in this room today. Hey, would you wanna grab coffee? That they long to learn from someone down the road of faith that we can be built up as brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray for the Pauls in this room. May they be open to saying yes, knowing that you've given them Life and experience of walking with you. No, it's not been perfect, but we look to a perfect Jesus. And may they give words of encouragement and instruction and correction. And Lord, would you bubble up in our midst a culture of gospel humility and unity and learning from one another and locking arms. What a beautiful thing. Do that in our midst. Give us courage to say hello to someone. Give us courage to have a conversation with someone. Give us courage to open up our hearts and our homes to say yes to inviting in. It's, it's scary sometimes, but it's good. Teach all of us, myself included, Lord. We need you in Christ's name, amen. Let's we'll stand and worship him, church.